Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. Today, uh, I'm just going to dive straight in. We're going to be talking about peace. It's the last topic in our Advent series, uh, and we're going to be focused in on just a single verse. Uh, I recognize that uh, that can sometimes be dangerous because it can be taken out of context. I'm trying my best not to take it out of context here, okay? Uh, You can trust me, uh, or you can just go read it for yourselves. Uh, I promise that it's in context, but we're really going to focus in on the meaning behind the singular verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. If you want to start flipping there, you can. Um, We're going to have it up on the screen. We're going to have a bunch of verses up on the screen, as Dale has probably already seen. Praise God for Dale. So uh, why don't you guys stand with me as we uh, read God's word this morning. Again, it's one verse, uh, and we're just doing this out of respect. I recognize that I'm going to read a lot more than just this one verse today, and yet there's something about standing and saying, you know, I respect God's word enough to to stand when it's read uh, by itself. And so Luke chapter two, verse 14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless this sermon today. But Lord, as, as I proclaim your word to your people this morning, that Lord, not only would they be fed, Lord God, I, I pray that they would be fed this morning, that your sheep would be fed by your word, not Lord, by my, by my mouth, my words, but by your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them and apply this word to their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would also do the same for me. But I confess that even as I prepared this, that it was difficult because at times peace is hard to come by. And so Lord, I pray that you would work peace in all of our hearts, even in this particular moment. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You can be seated. So today, um, we're gonna kind of explore this concept of peace. I admit, again, as I said the, the last time that I, that I preached here, uh, I can't jump into the entirety of peace from a, from a sort of biblical, redemptive, historical perspective. I can't just grab every single reference to peace or something like it from the entirety of Scripture, or we'd be here for like a week, all right? I can't do that, but I, I'm hoping that I can get at the particular kind of peace that the angels in this passage were declaring unto the shepherds. That day, and so I, I, I want to pick this one verse apart, and and get an idea of first, toward whom is this peace extended? Second, what is the quality or nature of this peace proclaimed in the gospel? And then finally, what is the purpose of that peace? That makes sense. Standard three point sermon. All right, it's actually like a two and a half point. It's going to be fine. All right. So we're going to just pick this apart. I love doing this. All right, I love getting into the word and asking questions about specific verses, especially those that they come with a lot of weight, right? This is a, a declaration from angels to men, from, from the heavens, a declaration of what God is saying unto the, the people that have heard this and the, the people to whom it was declared. 
And, and so it's a, an important sort of mountaintop moment in the scriptures, right? And so like, it's fun, to, it's fun and good, I think, to, to take these verses that, that stand out and go, how can we plumb the depths of these things? How can we sit and ask questions about what's going on here, seek to understand what's going on from a grammatical perspective, even what's happening here so that we can more deeply understand the peace in this particular passage that is being proclaimed. And so first, I'm going to kind of take this in reverse order. I want to look at the recipients of peace, the peace proclaimed in the gospel. In verse 14 of Luke chapter 2, at the end of that verse, it says, peace among whom, among those with whom he, that is God, is pleased. So to whom did this proclamation come? Well, first and foremost, to the shepherds, right? Like that's the obvious sort of answer, and you have to start there. It was proclaimed to these certain shepherds who, who were sitting in the field at night, and this angel comes down and says, glory to God in the highest. What an amazing moment for that guy or for those, that set of guys, right? I mean, I, can you imagine that? Just like the, the glory of God shining through these angels. I mean, they're in the presence of God, so it's, it's going to be bright, okay? It's just blinding and then declaring glory to God in the highest and peace. But it says peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, you might remember this if you're, if you're thinking back to your King James Version uh, of the Bible, you might remember this as peace, goodwill toward men. Remember that particular passage. Um, the literal translation of this phrase is actually people of good pleasure or people of goodwill. And so the ESV simply takes pains to make the phrase more clear. It, it is peace among those with whom he is pleased. That is the people of his good pleasure. It's not people who exercise goodwill toward one another. In fact, this was a, an ancient reading of this text the, in the uh, Latin Vulgate and, and others that, uh, that I, I read a few commentaries on. Uh, these guys would say, no, 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 this is peace toward those who exercise goodwill toward one another. No, 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 that's not what's going on here. The source of the goodwill is God. God gives goodwill toward those with whom he is pleased. And so if you take this together, I would say that the best way to understand this turn of phrase is peace toward those, uh, to those toward whom God exercises his good will. Okay, making some sense? Peace toward those to whom God exercises his good will. And so this begs the question in turn, right? Toward whom does God exercise his good will? What's the definition of this, of this group of people? Like there is a group of people toward whom God exercises his goodwill. Who are they? And why does he call them out particularly? Is this all people? I don't think so. But there is a sense in which God exercises his goodwill toward all. Matthew 5.45, the second part of that says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. So there's a sense in which God certainly exercises goodwill toward all. Again, like you, can, you can go back to John 3.16, right? He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So yes, in a, in a sense, Jesus is sent for the whole world, and yet he is also sent for a particular people. There's a 
set of people toward whom God particularly exercises his goodwill, and that is those whom he loves. Last week, we hit on this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. If you want to just pop it up there, I won't read the whole thing, but you can just cycle through it. We, but when we, we looked at this, we laid the foundation for this idea of God's love being the motivation for the incarnation. The love that God exercised in sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins is not only a general love for humanity, it is a particular love for the elect. This particular love for God's elect is likewise shown in places like Romans 1.7. It says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. I think that's one thing. Those who are loved by God and called to be saints, and that's an effectual calling. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey, there's a particular group of people that I'm writing to. It's not everyone in Rome, right? No, it's the church. It is those people who are called by God to be saints and who are loved by God. Also in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This particular elective love brings with it the goodwill of God and the gospel of peace. Again, there is a sense in which the gospel is proclaimed to all people, and yet peace comes only to those who believe. All right, whenever I talk about election, people get a little hostile. All right, okay, you know what I'm talking about. All right, (laughs) it it tends to get a little sticky when you start talking about election. And so, like, I I don't want to overcomplicate matters in this sermon. That's not really the point of this passage, and so I don't want to belabor this here, but I I do want to to, to say, say this, okay? If you trust in Jesus Christ, you have no reason whatsoever to doubt your election. So the question of election for you personally, like, if you can... Theorize all you want, but personally, the question of am I elect, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that is a gift of faith that God has worked in you, and therefore you have no reason to doubt your election. And so if, if you are following Christ and you, you, you have faith in him, then they prove your election. Election is ultimately a comfort for the Christian, that God has chosen and he has elected from the foundation of the world through his love, those who would believe, those who, who he would draw unto himself. I don't want you to sit back and think, well, like, is the gospel of peace for me? If you believe in Christ today, then the gospel of peace is for you, right? That's why I don't want to get too stuck in the theory of like how election applies through this, but I do want you to see that the gospel of peace is not a gospel of peace to those who do not believe. Am I making some sense? When, when Jesus comes, he says, I, I came to bring a sword, right? He's going to divide. There, like, there is a, a warlike thing happening here, and yet for those who believe, it is a gospel of peace. And so ultimately, the gospel of peace comes to all those whom God loves according to his sovereign grace and mercy, that is those with whom he is pleased. 
You can't say that God is pleased with everyone. This passage will not support this. No passage will support that. There is no such thing as a God who, who is well-pleased with everyone because he's going to work his wrath against those who do not believe. It says he hates the wicked. And so when we think about this question of to whom did the gospel of peace come? It came for God's people. But I've been using this term a lot, peace, and the gospel of peace. And so I want to move from to whom did it come and, and move toward what it means. What is peace? When's the last time that you truly felt at peace? Think about it. For those of you with, with young kids, the answer may be a long time ago. When's the last time? That you, can you picture that moment? Maybe if you haven't felt that peace in a long time, just like, just a subjective peace, just like, I feel at peace. I feel good. If, imagine that time. If you can't imagine that time as a, as a time in the past, imagine what it might be, right? I like to do that. I like to imagine what it might be, All right? The, my, my happy place is the same thing as my, as my peaceful place. It's a cabin in the woods with a nice cup of coffee, an acoustic guitar, and a book, my dog and my wife, and very little else. Like, everything is fine. The work that you do is good, it's productive, but it's not, it, it might be even be hard, but it's not stressful. Right, that I, when I think about that, that's, that's, my, that's my place. Your place might be somewhere different. Ashley's favorite place uh, or, or a peaceful place is, uh, she described it as uh, sitting in the, in the Magic Kingdom at Disney uh, at, uh, at a little place that's kind of off to the side but near the castle where you can sit at a little cafe and watch the fireworks. And she was like, my ideal peaceful place is there with, with me uh, just, and no one else around just watching the fireworks, right? Um, but your, your, your peaceful place might be a little bit different. But whatever it is, think of it. What do you feel when you're there? What do you, like, what, how would you describe it? You might describe it as restful. I, when I think peace, I think restful. I think peace and rest are actually very related. Um, everything's sort of under control, taken care of, you're able to breathe and think your own thoughts, feel your own feelings. Even, and even if you're, again, it's like solving problems or working, the, maybe the problems are a little bit more abstract, distant, and they're not pressing, right? And maybe the work that you do is still work, but it's simple and it's straightforward and it's rewarding. That's peace to me, right? Maybe your version, again, doesn't look anything like mine, but I, I bet there are some very similar qualities in a way. And so we get this sense of what peace is from our ex objective experience of life. Am I making some sense? Like, if you can picture that, you're like, okay, I, th I think I know what peace is to like a small degree, just dimly. And so we get these, these moments of peace, which maybe I think are, are a blessing from God as a foreshadowing of what's to come. Because like, when I think of glory, I think of those things. I think of peace. I think no more strife, no more conflict. No more worry about this or that. It's taken care of. It doesn't mean we're not working. It doesn't mean we're not doing good things, but it's that there is a, a sense of well-being there. Job 7.1, though, presents a different picture of what we experience in this life. Job 7.1 says, Has not 
man a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow and a hired hand who looks for his wages? Maybe that's one and two. These words, hard service, are also trans- translated, I think better translated, if, I, if I've done my word study right, uh, as a warfare. Life is not life a warfare. You feel that today? I mean, I feel that. I mean, it, it has felt like that today, like this morning for me. Like life is sometimes a hard service or a warfare. I mean, everybody knows this, right? Like we deal with sin and brokenness, right? We deal with sin, both our own and others, right? We sin ourselves and we hate that in ourselves. We deal with that. We struggle with temptations to sin. And then we have others who come and they sin against us. We deal with sin. That feels like warfare. We also deal with the brokenness of the world, right? So when God cursed creation after Adam fell, we have things like disease. Why do we have to deal with COVID? Because God cursed creation due to Adam's sin. We deal with brokenness. It feels like warfare. Have you felt that? You know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a hard service. It is a warfare. And so the scriptures say it, our, our life is like warfare and our experience confirms it. And yet the angels come and they proclaim peace. But like, how do we make this jive? Like God says both things. It's both in his word. Job says, is not life a warfare? And then the angel comes and proclaims Christ and he says, peace to those with whom he is pleased. And then our personal experience validates that life is warfare. How do we deal with this? How do we harmonize these things? How do we see them together? Because we understand both are absolutely true. In order to understand this sort of peace that the the angel was preaching, we need to first look at the Old Testament usage of the word shalom. Shalom is a, is a common greeting uh, amongst people of, of Jewish descent. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to Ashley yesterday, and, uh, and, and she said, well, it's, like, it's, kind of, it's kind of just a greeting. Right? It's hello, goodbye sort of a thing, right? Shalom. Right? Like it's what people uh, for, of Jewish descent, when they walk up to one another, they say shalom. Right? But what does shalom really mean? It means peace. Right? It, it was, it's, like, uh, it's like in Spanish, it's, it's adios, right? That's, that's goodbye. That's, how, that's how, how they teach you in school is adios is goodbye. What does it actually mean with God? Right? Adios. Yeah, with God. Uh, and so it, it, there's all these sort of Christianisms that have worked their way into uh, modern parlance for a lot of different languages. But um, shalom is, is one of those terms. And so uh, we have to ask what the, what the sort of meaning is there. The first sort of meaning of the, of the word shalom is, is a general sense of well-being. This is kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was getting you to kind of picture your, your peaceful place. It's a sense of well-being, being at rest, that everything is sort of taken care of. It's good. This is also kind of works its way into like a freedom from worry. In fact, I would argue that that peace is the antithesis to anxiety, right? If you are anxious, you are not at peace. And if you are at peace, you are not anxious. 
the, qualitatively, it's kind of the feeling that you get when you're with close friends who really know you, that you don't have to be on for them. Uh, Pastor Brandon and I were, uh, were sitting, I forgot where we were. I think it was at, uh, at Thanksgiving because he's part of my extended family. So he gets invited to Thanksgiving. Um, so we were, we were hanging out there and uh, it was the, you know, getting kind of late in the, in the day and we were sit, sitting outside and I, I wasn't saying much. I was just kind of sitting there and I was like, man, I'm really sorry that I'm not being a very good conversationalist today. I'm, I'm not being a very good, like, entertainer, <laughs> you know, and, and he looks over at me and he, you remember this? He was like, true friendship is defined by whether you can just sit and be quiet. Right? That's real friendship is that you can just sit there and be at peace. And it's, it, scripture actually backs this up. Jeremiah 20, 10, uh, it, it, ignore the, the context. I don't even know if I put that in there. You can get, you, I, don't, okay, don't get me wrong. Don't ignore the context all the time. I'm just saying we're trying to get at the definition of a term, okay? <laughs> uh, Jeremiah 20, 10 says, uh, close friends. It's a phrase that's in that passage, close friends. Interesting. This actually means men of my peace. So scripture supports the idea that peace is something you have when you're with those who make you feel at home, at rest, like everything is taken care of and you can just kind of be quiet and hang out. I know I feel this with Dale too. Like these guys are my closest friends. Like we could just sit and hang and it's fine. It's that sort of sense of peace. But the third definition of shalom is really the one that's, that's maybe like the foundational one uh, that we need to get at today. It's literally the, sense, the cessation of hostility. Have you ever been at, at odds with someone for a long time? Like, I, I know I've felt this before. Have you ever felt like you were just like butting heads constantly? There was just constant conflict. There's just, like every, I mean, even if it's not conflict, like head to head, it's like, Every time you pass by them, it's a little bit of friction, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are perfect. Um, but look, like, if you've ever experienced that, when that conflict is over, when that conflict has ended, however it ends, there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of well-being that comes with a cessation of conflict, of hostility, In Jesus' day, uh, there, there was a, a concept called the Pax Romana. Uh, it means Roman peace in, in, uh, in Latin. Um, Pax Romana was a, a, a peace that was wrought by war uh, and subjugation of other people. So Rome sought to make peace by coming in and just bulldozing a place, subjugating the people there and saying, no, you're going to live under our rules. That was peace to them. It's not the kind of peace that, actually, that Jesus came uh, to, to, to bring. The gospel of peace that was proclaimed by the angels here in this, uh, in this verse, this uh, peace among those with whom he is pleased, is a, is a peace of reconciliation. This is the best kind of peace. If you've ever been at conflict with someone, had hostility with someone, and you reconciled, there is a qualitative difference to that piece than the destruction of that other person or the removal of them from your life. You know what I'm saying? 
there is a peace, there is a certain just overabundant sort of peace that comes from reconciliation. And so Paul calls the gospel the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6.15. But if we go uh, just a few chapters back to Ephesians 2, uh, 14 through 17, Paul says this, For he, that is Jesus himself, is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to, the, to you who were far off and peace to those who were near." There are two aspects of this that I won't dive into too quickly, but I, I, I love this passage. I thought about doing this one instead of the Luke 2 passage, but we're in Christmas time, so Luke 2 is where I went. But th- there are two kinds of peace here uh, that, that we need to, to see. The, the first actually comes later in the passage. It says, and might reconcile us both to God. That is the foundation for any peace that we ever experience anywhere at any time. If you don't have peace with God, you cannot truly have peace. But Jesus came to reconcile us to God. This peace of reconciliation, you might wonder what's going on here. And so when the, 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 the angel proclaimed and on earth peace, he meant and on earth peace with God through the Savior who is born today. And so through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are reconciled to God. I mean, hopefully, if you've, if you've been around for a bit, if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you know why we need to be reconciled to God. But I'll make it explicit just for your sake so that we can be reminded. So when Adam sinned in the garden, he brought all mankind into sin with him. It's called federal headship if you want some theological terms. All right, Adam is our federal head. He represented us before God at the very beginning, and he fell. And so he brought all of us as our federal head, as our representative before God into sin. And so we are born sinners. And as such, as soon as we are able, we become practical transgressors ourselves. And so if you're not sure if you're a sinner, you should ask if you've ever wanted someone else's possessions, lied, cheated, stolen, wanted to hurt someone out of anger, lusted, take your pick. Have you done any of these things? If so, you're a sinner, just like the rest of us. We'll just lay that out there. But every sin against an infinitely holy God makes us liable for the infinitely perfect wrath of God. And so every single, every single one of those sins begets infinite punishment. What an incredibly terrible thing to be under. If you thought that this life here and now is warfare, consider where you were previous to your salvation. Think about it. You might not have known it, but you were at war with the God of the universe who meets out infinite punishment upon those who sin against him. You were at war far more than you are at war now. And so we need salvation. We need peace with God if we have any hope at all of anything other than wrath in this life and in the next. And so while we are still at war with sin and brokenness, we are no longer at war with God. And that's a very good thing. 
But that's not the end of the peace that the gospel brings. It's not simply reconciliation with God. That is the foundation. That is the beginning, but it doesn't end there. It actually leads us to two other important kinds of peace, and I, I won't spend a whole lot of time here, and we'll, we'll close out pretty quickly. But one thing that, that one type of peace that, uh, that comes with this is, is that general sense of well-being, particularly with God. This thought of, like, I can go to God. I can approach him as my heavenly father. Like, how amazing is that? So there's an objective peace that's out there that God wrought by the blood of Christ, right? He made peace. He, like, you didn't participate in any of that. You didn't do anything for that. He said, no, I'm going to send my only son and he is going to make peace for you. And so I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make peace for you. And then the second kind of peace is an experience of the peace we have with God. He says, I'm going to make peace for you and now you can partake of it. You can experience it. How do we experience it? We experience it in prayer. When we go to God with boldness before the throne of grace, you experience that peace because you know that, that, that the God to whom you are speaking is no longer looking at you in wrath, but is looking at you in love. That's peace. Like, I, I, personally, like if, I, if I believed Christian theology but didn't believe in Jesus unto, unto salvation, right? I understood what, what was said here. I would be afraid to pray, okay? I would be afraid to pray. If I didn't know that God was a gracious and merciful God who, who, who calls those according to his wonderful and gracious will, like, if I, if I didn't know that, but I knew that his wrath was coming for sinners, I would be afraid. I would be afraid. Because how can you come before an infinitely holy God who wants nothing but to destroy you because of your sin? And yet, here and now, as Christians, as I know all of us in this room are, we can come before God in peace. When you go to God in prayer, you're at peace with him. He's your heavenly father. What an incredible blessing. I mean, you can face seemingly insurmountable difficulty knowing that you have peace with God no matter your circumstance this morning, wherever you came from this morning, wherever you're going to, you can face those circumstances knowing that you have peace with God. There is no hostility. And you can experience that peace as you trust him. What an incredible blessing. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, this is something that we experience. There's an objective peace that's made out here by by God, by himself, okay? But we can experience greater degrees of that peace just like we can experience greater degrees of joy. How do we do that? We pray, we seek him in his word, we worship together, we worship alone. We worship however God commands us to worship. We spend time with him, we trust him, we pray to him. We set all of our cares before him. And we say, Lord, I, I trust this to you. I'm gonna do the best with whatever you give me. And, and I trust all of it to you. You can experience that peace. I know this morning I even like I, I was praying, just God, I just I need that peace. I need to relinqu relinquish control, relinquish all the worry, all the anxiety, all the fears, all the worries. I need to let that go, and I need to just trust you. 
I, I need that peace this morning that comes from knowing that, uh, yes, I have something to do, and yet you are in full control, and whatever happens, I, it's, it's going to be okay. I need, to be, I need that peace. Not only does the, do we get to experience internal peace, that sense of well-being, right? There's, again, there's that actual well-being that we have with God and then a sense of well-being, but we also get peace with one another. Like, I, I would, like, no offense, but I always thought of myself as kind of the black sheep in the family uh, when it came to Ashley's family, right? And yet they love me. I, I think partially because I'm married to her, but also because, I, like, we're in Christ together. Seriously, like, because we're in Christ together, like, there is, there is a unity that we have that is, that is far beyond that. There is a peace that we have because we are in Christ together. And the same is true for all of us, whether we're part of the same family or not. Like whether, like if we're part of the family of God, then we have peace with one another. Like all of your stories are different. Everybody comes from different places and we can have conflict all over the place, couldn't we? But we don't, we don't need to because we have peace. Like Ephesians 2 says, he himself is our peace. These last um, four weeks of, of Advent, uh, we've covered a few different topics. Love, peace, joy, and hope. I want you to see how all of this fits together now. We've, we've talked about them all sort of separately, but we haven't really put the pieces together. And so I want to end this series with, with just kind of painting a picture of how this works together. First, Let's look at this. God's love for his people caused him to send Jesus for all those who believe. The love of God is the causation for all of it. He says, I love these. These are my people. I love them. I'm going to send Jesus for them. These are my people. So love begins the, the whole thing, right? Of course, like you could talk about the aspects of God being grace, mercy, things like that, but the motivating factor, love, right? Why did God send his only son? Again, 1 John 4, right? Uh, he sent Jesus because of love. And then, as God loved first, he sent Jesus to make peace. As fully God, fully man, Jesus suffered God's wrath for us, making peace. Objective peace between God and man. So love and peace, one flowing into the other. God does it all. I had this earlier in the sermon, but I, I want you to hear this today. This is something that God accomplishes on his own, okay? You don't participate in any of that. He redeems you by himself. He does it all for you. I like to call this monergism, if you're looking for great theological words. God does it for you. And only once God has done it for you, only when his love has become operative and he has created peace between himself and you for you, only then can you experience love, joy, peace, and hope. And what are those but fruits of the Spirit? We have, an, we have a Trinitarian working Right, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working in concert to make, out of love, 
peace between us so that we could experience that same peace, experience that same love and have hope and joy even in this world. It all fits. It all fits together. And so if you're in Christ today, God loves you. I want you to hear that today. If you're in Christ, God loves you. If you're in Christ, then God has worked peace for you where there was only warfare before. If you're in Christ today, God will give you joy in every circumstance. Trust him. And if you are in Christ, then there is a sure hope, a sure hope that you will spend eternity in his presence, glorifying him. All of these things fit together. And so at at Christmas, you, you think about gift giving as one of the primary sort of things that we do. But nothing compares to the gift of salvation and none of it, none of it could have been accomplished without the baby in the manger. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate in fleshly clothes, having humbled himself for us. But I want you to see something here. It's not, it's not, about, it's not just about us. I could end the sermon here. I think it would be okay. But we would be missing one of the biggest parts of this passage. And so as I, as I finally close, I want you to look at the first few words, verse 14 in Luke chapter two. Glory to God in the highest. If I just preached how you can have peace and hope and joy and love in your life, that would be fine. But far better to preach the glory of God that he works through it. What's the purpose of our peace? What's the purpose of the love that he gives? What's the purpose of our peace? What's the purpose of of the, the hope? What's the purpose of the joy? What's the purpose of all of it? It is the first thing that the angel says when he begins to, 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 to declare this. And sorry, I've been saying angel. I mean angels. It's heavenly host. Glory to God in the highest. So different than the, the things we're often taught. We, we often are, are taught to, to look very smallly at our lives. We take this myopic view of, of the Christian life and we, uh, we see just ourselves, but the purpose is far grander. This phrase that's, that's uttered, glory to God in the highest, is a declaration of God's glory and it reverberates from the creation to which the angels proclaim it. Through the heavens above us, I mean the physical heavens, right? The, the air above us, the atmosphere, through the stars and the planets and the universe, through the, the heavens where the angels are, all the way through that, all the way unto the very throne room of God. His glory reverberates through all of it. Why have you been saved? For his glory alone. It's one of the main battle cries of the Reformation, isn't it? To the glory of God alone. It's not just to the glory of God and maybe some other stuff. It's to the glory of God alone. And so as you celebrate 
this Christmas, I, I want you to think about love, joy, hope, and peace in the context of glorifying God with all that you do. I mean, when you, when you declare his glory as we worship together, you, you are glorifying him. As we live in obedience, we glorify him. Even when we sin, when we repent and cast ourselves upon the grace and mercy of God, we glorify him. And when we breathe the air that he created, think about that. The molecules that you are inhaling into your lungs and they are dispersing into your bloodstream so that you can live. When you inhale that air, you declare God's glory. In fact, every single person on the face of the planet has always had the purpose of declaring God's glory. How wonderful is it that as Christians, we get to live in our calling. Many people will glorify God at judgment. It's a terrible thing. But as those who believe in Christ, we glorify God here and now, and we will glorify him forevermore. Look, I know that this time of year can sometimes be hard for people, and if you don't feel these things, if you don't feel that love, joy, peace, hope, all these things that, that, I, that we've been talking about. I, I, want, I want to, to give you the same basic exhortation that I, I want to give actually everybody in this room, and that's go to the Lord in prayer today. If you feel like there's a lack of peace or a lack of love or a lack of joy in your life, go to the Lord in prayer. Look, I know for a fact that you can expect him to answer that prayer positively. Some people say, well, he'll answer the prayer, but maybe he'll say no. This isn't one of those prayers that God says no to. He says in his word, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look, I know it's hard. I know that sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray, God, give me peace, and you don't feel it, you don't see it, but I know it will come. I know he will say yes. I have every confidence. When we pray according to his word, he says yes and amen. So wherever you're at today, just take time. Even in just a moment as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, like take time. Take time to, to pray for those things which you feel are lacking. But also spend time in worship. Just pray to him and say glory to God in the highest for all the things that you have done, for everything that you have wrought for us. Thank you for calling me son, daughter. Thank you for ending the hostility between us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. So I want to Go to the Lord that we might declare that glory to God in the highest. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to do that very thing, to declare your glory from beginning to end of our lives. Lord, we know that there will be no end to the declaration of your glory in eternity. I pray, Lord, that in this moment as we, Lord, maybe struggle with feeling peace, joy, love, and hope. Lord, you would grant that to all those who are here today. Lord, I pray that you would grant it to those who are struggling today, 
to those who, are, who need it most, Lord, that, that you would truly do this for all of your people. Lord, we expect you to move. Not, Lord, as a command, but, Lord, because you have graciously promised it to us. Thank you, Lord, for that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.